This is Katie Sane. Welcome to the Black Theatre History Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the people, the plays, and the rich stories of the American theater's African-American history makers. Last month, the Black Theatre Network's 32nd Annual Conference was held in Memphis, Tennessee at Hattie Lou Theatre. We'd scheduled for a live podcast recording with Hattie Lou's own Ekandayu Bendele. Things did not go as we planned, and so our live recording didn't happen. But we did find time for me to sit down with Ekandayu, the founder and CEO of Hattie Lou Theatre. Hattie Lou is Memphis's Black Repertory Company, which first opened its doors in 2006. As the theater's artistic leader, Ekandayu Bendele has directed several plays, including Memphis native Katori Hall's Hurt Village. He's portrayed King in August Wilson's King Headley II, has written a popular holiday play titled If Scrooge Was a Brother. This year, it's If Scrooge Was a Sister, and worked as assistant director to Ruben Santiago Hudson on Paradise Blue, which starred film star and TV star and stage star Blair Underwood at the Williamstown Theater Festival. In 2014, Ekandayu spearheaded a $4.3 million campaign that resulted in the construction of Hattie Lou's venue, which opened debt-free in June of 2014. And then in 2016, he raised an additional $900,000 for the construction of a development center, which also opened debt-free in 2017. Ekandayu has developed Hattie Lou from a small community theater with a $60,000 annual budget into a regional cultural institution with a $1.7 million budget and the theater is going strong. We took a few minutes during the BTN conference to meet in his office and have the following conversation about his career, the origins and history of the theater, and Ekandayu's vision for moving forward. So first, thank you for mm. taking the time yeah, <laughs> to do this in the middle you. of a huge conference in your space. My pleasure. Um, I, the major reason that I have wanted to sit down with you for a while now mm-hmm. is because the very first time that we talked about your company mm-hmm. um, your face just lit up and your simple simple answer about why Hattie Lou exists mm-hmm. is because you wanted to celebrate black beauty yeah and you told me the story of how this happened so I would you share that again yeah with the story about? of how we came into being yes okay so I moved to Memphis in 2004, I'm originally from Fort Greene, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and I was hosting a weekly uh, uh, variety show mm-hmm. that we called the Speaker Box and the re- the Speakeasy, excuse me. And the reason that I was hosting it is because I was bringing people from various genres mm-hmm. together, so opera, spoken word, theater, bam, bam, boom. So a guy named Michael DeCatani became a regular there. And um, we became friends. He was a wealthy guy, and he knew I had a background in black theater. And so he was like, hey, Memphis needs a black theater. Why don't you open one? (laughs) And so um, that was uh, the beginning of it. And then the executive producer of Playhouse on the Square, which is right across Mm -hmm. the street, Jackie Nichols, he's no longer there. But um, he was he was my godfather almost. Mm. Um, he gave us a copy of their bylaws to trans, you know, fit for mm-hmm. um, what we're doing. He introduced me to our first major donor. He lent us props, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So now here's here's a funny story. So I was with my treasurer at this Irish pub, and we were sitting out there and. And there were these two guys, and they were sloshed out their brains. <laughs> and they were like, what are y'all talking about over there? And so my church was white guy and black guy, and they were both white. We were like, we're, gonna, we're talking about a black theater. Black theater, what's that? Is it painted black? Blah, 
They were slosh. So a couple of weeks later, my treasurer and I went there again. That was our spot. Mm-hmm. His name is Gideon. And um, the same two guys were there, you know, but they had just started on their first Guinness. So they, exactly. <laughs> and so I told them, and um, they were like, well, we're contractors because we were fitting out our original storefront mm-hmm. and they were like we're contractors and I said man we don't have any money to really pay a contractor and he said what do you got I said I'm embarrassed and he said no tell us tell us and I said man I got ten dollars an hour he said okay so his name was Percy and his friend was Randy so they pull up to Hattie Lou and now mind you there's a sign there even though we're not open yet that says Hattie Lou Theater Black Repertory and they pull up in this pickup truck with a confederate flag covering the whole back mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like oh boy welcome to Memphis and um, they come in uh, they start measuring they order stuff and blah 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 so the first paycheck I gave them uh, Percy gave it back to me and he said this is too much and I said no it's $10 an hour and you know for you and Randy he said no it's $10 for both of us we're splitting it and mm. he built that theater for five months for mm. working for $5 an hour and so that was the, the, the foundation of the organization and, and they eventually took down the confederate flag I was going to ask they brought their family about... to the place and they were from Mississippi and they brought their Mississippi family to the place it was it was absolutely wonderful so that's how that was the the, end, the, the beginning of Hattie Lou okay. um, and like I said we started in the storefront what was in you that made you want to say yeah I'll start a whole company I, I think my background is a hustler Mm-hmm. In, a, in a positive way. Um, I've done everything from had a mobile car wash business to um, I used to make incense and sell them mm-hmm. on college campus. <laughs> um, you name it, I've done it. And every summer, I knew that summer camps wanted something. So I would put together a little play and we would travel around. Mm-hmm. The, the most popular one was called The Day in the Life of a Puppy. It's a two-person play. And so I had already started doing it, and I had, you know, I used to build my sets. I used to find my customs and all of that. And so when this opportunity presented itself, I was like, why not? Now, did I think it was going to stick? No, I did not. Mm. I thought two, three years max, then I'll go on to the next thing. And you spent eight years in that storefront. I did, yeah. Yeah, we spent our first eight years, 2006 to 2014, and that storefront, 66 seats. And then a donor helped us build a balcony. I think that took us to 72 seats. <laughs> a major presenter theater here called the Orpheum, because, mm-hmm. you know, lights are very expensive. They were changing out all of their lights, so they gave us all of their old lights. Mm-hmm. I had a donor give us our sound system and mm-hmm. a piano. So people rallied around this idea, and, and that emboldened me. Okay. You know, that mm-hmm. made me be like, okay, I got an army. You know, and we're mm-hmm. going to get this done. So the transition from storefront mm-hmm. to this, I don't even want to give a number to what I think. Yeah. I'm not remembering well, this how much this thing million. Thank you. Um, it's, it's been a struggle. Okay. And what was the, was there, a, did, did you want to make that move because you saw a need for well, more people to experience the art form? Or was there a need for a 
endemically black theater to play a larger role in this community? What were their reasons the for the transition? Was, it was very much like Michael Dekatani who planted the seed for me to start it. There is a donor named J.W. Gibson. If you go in front, you see his name on the building, mm-hmm. say J.W. and Kathy Gibson Cultural Center. Right. And J.W. was a um, supporter of Hattie Lou. He's a very success, successful businessman, and his wife is very successful. And we were sitting in this office just chewing the fat one day, and he said, why don't we build a new theater? Now, mind you, he wasn't on my board. He came to shows maybe once every three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, every three months. So he wasn't that active. And his impetus was we weren't supposed to be in this location originally. Okay. His impetus was building a day. I just torn down these projects where he grew up. And there was a plot of land. And he said it would be his legacy to build something mm-hmm. on the land where he grew up. And then, um, so that was the beginning of the idea. We did a feasibility study, which said we could raise $4 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I got together uh, a capital campaign uh, committee headed by JW, and we went to work. And, and, and the city of Memphis gave us $1.5 million for the building. And when I met with the mayor... Uh, Mayor Warden at the time, he wasn't immediately inclined to support it. Mm -hmm. And here's the emphasis. Um, I asked him in that meeting, I said, what physical evidence is there that black people live in this city culturally? Mm. What can we touch? Mm. In a city that's 68% black, what can we go touch and say, this is our contribution to the cultural landscape of this city? There's absolutely nothing. Nothing. So I was like, we got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so might as well start with this building. And so that, in a, in a city that's predominantly black, not having a cultural venue mm-hmm. was a shame. Because it's just museums. Exactly. And well, there are no black museums. National of Rights Museum is humanitarian. Stax is built on the fact that black and white people play together in these bands. Right. So there's nothing that's just for blacks to the community, right. you know, or from blacks to the community, and um, and so you know it's 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 and then we did go back and forth on, you know, should we retrofit a building? You know, maybe the city give us a building we retrofit, and I really made the argument. I said black people are always getting hand me downs. And any legacy that you would have in an existing building comes with the legacy of that building. Exactly. You're not establishing your own. In exactly. That yeah. So that's why we built from the ground up. All right. And open with no debt. That's the biggest thing that I'm proud of. I'm going to snap. I'm here for that. Um, so one thing that I have to ask mm-hmm. so that this is on record, um, which is completely out of order in our story of the, the institution's history, um, but the, the name... Of the organization yeah. and, and the how and the why. Well, it's named after my daughters. So my eldest daughter, is, her name is Heshepsut, and Heshepsut was uh, a pharaoh queen in ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. So that was her name, but she couldn't say it growing up. Oh. So she got the nickname Hattie. Then uh, my youngest daughter was Oluremi. And again, she couldn't say her name when she grew up, <laughs> so she became Lou. My wife and I were driving to her parents' house for Thanksgiving. They lived in Newport News, mm-hmm. Virginia at the mm-hmm. time. And this was in November. 
Uh, Michael had just come to me about the idea for a black theater, I would say, in mid-October. So we were still, well, we were like 32, 33, so very young and mm-hmm. idealistic, you know, two little girls. <laughs> and so we daydreamed. We daydreamed about this theater. And I said, should we call it the Rollison? Should we call it this? Should we call it that? And I, I'll never forget, she was sitting there and the girls were acting up in the back. She said, Hattie Lou, y'all stop it. There you go. And I was like, Hattie Lou. It, it was just something. And then when I brought it to Michael, he was like, that's beautiful because it's a person, it's a name almost. So people say, I'm going to Hattie Lou right. instead of I'm going to this theater or that theater. Um, and so the name became synonymous with intimacy and friendship and mm-hmm. openness and warmness. And family. And family. It really is a family. And I mean, people just love the fact that, you know, I named it after my daughters and well in homage to them. The other thing that's really lovely about it, especially that in relation to everything we just discussed, is this notion that you're leaving this legacy mm-hmm. that is new. Right? Like, it's yeah. not named after some historical person who did something here before. Right. Right? Like, here are these young women who have inspired the name of a brand new mm-hmm. legacy. How did, how did they feel? They, did, they, did they downplay the it. Oh, they today? downplay it. So, you know, Hachefsa works the box office. She never tells people she's the Hattie. Even though her painting, that painting of her and her sister <laughs> yeah. right there, she never, ever does. Now, my youngest daughter takes, she's our biggest ambassador. I mean, she goes to church. Have you seen the play yet? Blah, blah, blah. So she, she's 23. Okay. And Hachefsa um, is 24. Um, and so while Hachefsa kind of shies back, and, and one of the reasons that I think she takes the back seat is because she's she's an artist in her own right mm-hmm. and she's trying to make her name and make her statement and not really depend on me and what I've done mm-hmm. uh, but she works here <laughs> you know right. and so uh, so they're very proud I don't think they really get the weight of it yet mm-hmm. I think it may be you know some years before they're like oh my god there's a building with my name on it right. I don't think that it has just really sank in. Yeah. yeah, that's one of those things you have to live with for a minute. You do. Come you back do. to a town and, and experience it. Um, in terms of the cultural landscape mm-hmm. of the city now, mm-hmm. um, where do you see Happy Lou mm-hmm. as its current existence in terms mm-hmm. of how it fits within the fabric yeah. of this? And then where do you see that patch in the patchwork of what Memphis is becoming? So, I have a brochure. And on the cover, the brochure says it best. So it says, sustaining the change. And then underneath it, it says, Memphis has always enjoyed a thriving art scene. But Hattie Lou changed the game and made art for everyone. Mm. So that's that's mm-hmm. it. it. It was like we've always had a, a vibrant art scene, but it just wasn't you know indicative of the of the population racially. Mm-hmm. And so when we opened, it was like, here we go. And so now, you came into this building in 2014. This building in 2014. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I recognized last night, mm-hmm. um, and then for our listeners, uh, last night was our opening event. We did a screening of the film. 
um, Memphis Magic, which everyone should check out because it's amazing. Um, and then afterwards, there was just a reception and a band kind of through the front windows. And one of the things that we recognized was happening was just folks that were walking by mm-hmm. who would stop, all people of color, who would stop and just stare for a minute at yeah. what unabashedly was a whole bunch of black jokes. <laughs> but you know what? Thing. That is but, why the lobby is made out of all glass. Oh, and I, we, said, we all of those of us who were sitting there said as much as that, like, well, mm-hmm. this is what this needs to be because the number of people walking by yeah. who just stopped. And I was like, this this building is still new here. Yeah, it This is. experience is still new here. And there were a couple young women who, like, came up to the door, like, is this, is this a club? Like, is this a party? And they got right to the door, um, and then they, they kind of shied back away. away. But, it, I mean, I really was struck by... I, I don't want to racialize my experience, except it was racialized. Um, but, like, you know, there were two or three white couples that went by, and they just mm-hmm. walked right by, like, oh, that's yeah. the new theater, we got this, blah, blah. And the people who... Yeah, like it was a family with like a stroller and their kid in it. Yeah, it was yeah. like a very hipster family. <laughs> so ah. You know, and then there's like this young brother smoking a cigar just walking down the street and he just stopped. So before we open, I gave a tour to one of our um, donors and she was pregnant at the time, probably six, seven months. Okay. And her unborn child was named Jack. And so I was giving her a tour of the whole building and she just stopped and she, she said Jack look at what's being built for you <laughs> I know and so that you know that ownership yeah that's the truth you know and that's the big thing like me I, I'll walk through the building never introduce myself because it's your building ain't my building but it's, that's the importance of having a space like this in any community. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is, but to, to have to have that, to know that it is there for you. Yes. Um, particularly in a city that has not always had things open to oh everyone. God, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, to have this exist here and in this part of town. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is, and you know, and so this has been one of our challenges to uh, uh, earlier question and addendum is this is a predominantly white area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, just over here is a very affluent area, you know, two, three million dollar homes. Um, and then you have these, you know, boutique um, restaurants and what have you. So for many years, if any, black people just didn't come here. Right. They didn't come over to the square. And so even though we're here, there some people still say, no, we don't go over there. My uh, Lyft driver on the way from the airport, I asked her, I said, have you ever been? She said, well, I know what it is, but we've never gone. And I said, well, you're going to know the way. Here, she said, well, they, they, they do plays, right? But it was interesting because in terms of how a city of this size mm-hmm. starts to recognize what uh, essentially like a relatively small company mm-hmm. um, and the impact that that is having, I mean, I was kind of like, right, yeah. you know? Um, and she was trying to explain to me like the other parts of town. She said, "Well, I really bartend up here, and so I don't get to, you know, we don't really go down there." And that was kind of my first clue. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, she picking up a white lady at the airport to drop her off in the white part of town." Yeah, this and, is the white you know, part of town. And so it, it, I didn't realize it until she was speaking about it, and then we pulled up, and she saw all the people standing outside for the conference, and I was like, "It's a cool theater. You should check it out." And she just kind of looked at it again for a minute. She said, I think I will. So check this out. But, I mean, it was, it was cool because I, even just that exchange, I was like, oh, 
okay. When we were in our storefront. And where was that located? So it's, it's an area called The Edge, which is at the edge of Midtown, where we are now, and the edge of downtown. Okay. So it's a little community in between. Mm-hmm. Right down the street from um, Sun Studios, where Elvis okay. originally recorded. So when we were there on Marshall, our audience was around 85 to 90% black. And we would have a few black people. And, and our mission is to develop a black theater that is accessible to, relevant to, and reflective of a multicultural community. That's our mission statement. Okay. And so the board and I always said, we want to mirror the demographics of this city. Mm-hmm. So even though we were opening doors to people to the arts and theater that the doors would have been closed, we still weren't achieving our mission, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons we did not move onto that plot, but moved here. Mm -hmm. And so now our audience is around 60% black, around 38% white, 2% other. So now we we better mirror the community because the black experience isn't just for black people. It's an American experience. And so with three white theaters, you know, one block from here, um, in the ballet, you know, one block from here, it really is inclusive. And it, it kind of tells the black population, you know what, we do have a space there. Right. We do have, you know, they right. pay taxes. This is their city, mm-hmm. you know, every part of it. Mm-hmm. And so you should enjoy it, you know? I feel that. Mm-hmm. So I have time for maybe one more question. Okay. Um, what, oh, that's the border into our closing. That's the door. <laughs> um, what, what one goal do you have that is the greatest goal for Happy Loop right now where you stand? What's the one next thing that you want either to accomplish on behalf of the institution or for the institution or with the institution? So right now, what's on the forefront of my mind is a uh, managing director fellowship. that we're going to start here. Mm -hmm. It's going to be broken up into six months that can be renewed up to four times, so two years. The first six, they have to have some knowledge of management and finance, but not that they don't have to have a lot. First six months is just training, working with me, working with my board, working with our accountant, working with our development officer, and just learning. The second six months, they have a a little autonomy, but they're still learning. Mm -hmm. That second year, they run this theater. So why that's important is that there are so many black theaters and black theater companies that have strong art leaders, but don't have strong business leaders who truly understand the distinction between this is theater, that is dance, I'm selling Cokes over here, I'm selling coats or cars over here. We have a very specific product. Mm -hmm. And so this is our way of pumping out into the community more well-trained um, African-American managers. Absolutely. Yeah. I first just have to celebrate what you have created here, what you. you have continued to do here. Thank you for opening your home to the your network. Um, and thank you for taking the time to sit down in the middle of a crazy day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My pleasure. It was a much-needed break. Awesome. Your brain can only take so much. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Thank you. Thank you. That was Ekandaya Bandele, the founder and CEO of Hattie Lou Theatre. 
This is the Black Theater History Podcast. I'm KP Sane. Our music is by Kaya Caterhurst from the album Nine Pin, which can be found on iTunes and wherever else fine music is sold. Special shout outs for the support of this episode go out to the Black Theater Network, Andre Harrington, and the staff of Hattie Lou Theater. The Black Theater History Podcast is produced with the support of Art 26201, which is dedicated to the promotion of public and community art in Buchanan, West Virginia, and works to promote the creative and inspirational opportunities in their community. If you like what we're doing here at the Black Theater History Podcast and want to support our work, you can make a donation to the podcast or learn about sponsorship and episode commissions at www.blacktheaterhistory.com. And while you're online, like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter for updates and information about the podcast. We're on Twitter at Black Theater Pod. That's theater with an R-E. And listeners, you also make this podcast possible. Make sure to subscribe to the Black Theater History Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share our work with the folks that you know who will dig it. We're all in this together, and we've got a lot more to learn. Thanks for listening.